everybody. This is Jackie here with the Sexy Politico back from my long vacation. And we're here today with Kathleen Stewart. Now, Kathleen runs a political affairs communications firm called the Stewart Collective. She's out of Washington State. Now, Kathleen, could you explain to everybody exactly what the Stewart Collective is before we get started with everything else? Yeah, definitely. And Jacqueline, thanks so much for having me. As I said, especially it's Labor Day today, and it's great to be on with you and talking about this today. Awesome. Um, yeah, so yeah, Stewart Collective is a public affairs and strategic communications firm. Um, we're fully remote. We have team, um, team members all over the U.S., and we work with unions, businesses, government agencies, and political action committees, helping them create change through political um, and communications campaigns. I mean, in this day and age, you you need somebody to at least help you navigate social media and and your your strategy of communication because even with even with local and state and city politics, everything's online now. Am I am I wrong to think that way? No, hundred percent. And a lot of what we end up you know doing is just rolling up our sleeves and getting the job done with folks. I think especially after the pandemic, you know, everyone is. Um, you know, our clients are usually executive directors or communications directors, government affairs folks who do this work, you know, full time, but they're so inundated with the amount, the pressure of their current job, the coalitions that are forming, which are new and exciting and take time and relationships. And then, like you mentioned, the flood of social media and, and PR and um, reporting up to stakeholders and 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 out to stakeholders. So um, we find ourselves, we really pride ourselves on kind of rolling up our sleeves and being organizers and political staffers at heart and just getting the job done, not being, you know, stuffy suits telling you what the strategy should be. We really like to partner with our clients and get the stuff done. Absolutely fantastic. I, I personally have only worked in one political campaign back in 2015. It was a right? congressional, it was a congressional primary in Illinois. And uh, awesome. sadly my, 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 my candidate didn't win, but you know, it, it took my life in a different direction but yeah but did you have a good experience I mean oh I had a great experience he was he was a really nice guy I learned learned so much about just like the the nitty-gritty you know like van you going door to door getting getting signatures for petitions that's a I don't know about politics up there but in Illinois it's it's like a point of pride to have almost double the number of signatures that you need and it's like it's kind of a dick measuring contest. Awesome. Who has the longest, <laughs> who has the most yeah. number of signatures? Oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah. And here it's we seriously, are. it seriously yeah. is. And then whoever, re whoever registers first is first on the ballot. It's not alphabetical or anything like that. So your campaign manager is basically sleeping outside the office the night before you can turn everything in. I love that so much. We, up till now, you know, this may change in the next handful of years with campaign finance reform happening here. And I'm based in Oregon. So it's, we're still kind of working on some of the campaign finance stuff. Here. Illinois has so, some weird stuff, but it's, yeah. it's its own thing. Totally. Yeah. Every state is its own game, but um, yeah, I mean, the campaigns here, you know, we're always like telling people don't, don't go after the signatures. It takes a lot of effort, but it does get your team up and running all earlier. So if you're really well-greased campaign from the start, it can be great. But I think you know, when campaign finance laws uh, start eventually, I, I, can't, I can't imagine that won't change. And we'll have funny stories like that to share with you. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's World such, calling for it's advice. Such a, it's such a, such a measuring contest. 
Yes. Oh, totally. Well, that's so fun. It's I, like, um, you need 3,500 signatures. Oh, we are going to have 6,500 signatures. <laughs> I love it. My favorite story like that, um, and I, I can't, I don't know that I can top that, but one time um, Senator Merkley here in, in Oregon um, offered to give, it was a, it was a match and then it was a descending, you know, he had like tears, but it was a match for anyone who got the, any state legislative candidate that got the most small dollar donations within a period of time. And I was working for, you know, my first candidate in Oregon. And I, there was one really, really organized, it was a, a guy um, who was running an office, running for office, but was an organizer. So his team was like, great. And our team was really bare bones and really small. But I was like, I really want to win this. When we stayed on the phone for three days straight, we had so many three and $1 donations. Oh, and we, man. We almost beat the the guy who was, you know, everybody <laughs> would win. Yeah, and then no. he caught, he oh, figured out what we were doing and started making more calls. So we, we got number two, but it was fun. Learning how to, learning how to make those phone calls to ask for mm -hmm. donations and just having yeah. the, and having... I, that was the biggest thing that our campaign manager had to teach the candidate was just to make the ask because right. a lot of people don't want to ask their their friends their family their former their yeah. their college classmates people who uh -huh. they used to work for for that kind of money and this was since this was a federal campaign they he had of course there's a limit but it's still just asking making that ask yeah Yep. Yep. And having a team who all knows how to make, you know, they're all, all in. So they're asking their networks and, you know, it kind of moves outward from that, but especially for a brand new candidate, that can be really scary. Yeah. So yeah. how, how do, so in this day and age, we, we want more diverse candidates. I mean, I, I'm talking about working for, working for an older white gentlemen. Uh -huh. I mean, most uh -huh. of the candidates that we, we want more candidates who are yeah. different races, different ethnicities, mm -hmm. different, uh, different, just different backgrounds in general. How can we help with yeah. getting more candidates that are younger, look different, who have different backgrounds, things of that nature? Yeah, it's, it's such a big question and and great to be asking. So thanks for sharing. And, you know, um, my lived experience, you know, is, is going to be, you know, what it is. And I think, you know, I always look to leaders who are in this work and coaching candidates of color in particular have that lived experience. Um, so to speak from my perspective, I think there's two pieces of this, right? You mentioned the candidate you worked with, um, or just two to start, there's many pieces of it, but, um, the first one is like you said, knowledge, right? Like the experience and the knowledge to do something. It takes time to learn that, but not just time. It also takes networks, right? And networks mm -hmm. of people who have done it before, who are willing to be on a phone call with you at nine o'clock at night. Cause that's when you finally, as a candidate have time to ask questions about how you're supposed to call your list and um, how you're supposed to organize your time and all these like little tiny details that make up a really good candidacy. So the network and the knowledge, the knowledge network is almost how I would say it, you know, having that um, built. Now for, especially for new candidates, right? Women, people of color, BIPOC, um, trans people running, young people running. Yeah. They're not going to necessarily, you know, take a young, like a 22 year old um, woman who wants to run, right? Great candidate, all the right ideals. But, you know, she's not going to have, she may not have that kind of network around her, that knowledge network right away. And so I think it's incumbent on us 
you know, to build the kind of structure that needs to happen for her or for, for these kinds of candidates, um, you know, structurally into our makeup as a progressive, you know, kind of wing of the party. We started to build that, right? But often it felt we we built it in a big way around um, recruitment and around candidate training. But I think that brings me to my second point, which is on the retention, retention and then candidate support along the way is where we're really, really lacking. Um, and, you know, so the knowledge network and then this retention, once you have people running for office and then in office, we are falling down in such a big way. And I think, you know, you can recruit until you're blue in the face, you know, maybe pun intended there. But if you're not keeping the really smart, wonderful, diverse voices that you've recruited and that have run um, in the race as feeling like supported and surrounded by this knowledge mm -hmm. network, you know, supported by the right kind of information, but also once they're in office, keeping them, you know, the support system around them, then you lose them, right? And once they're lost, it's really hard to recruit somebody back who had a bad experience in office. And one of the things, I mean, just to speak to, you know, a study that happened here in the Northwest, Oregon Futures Lab, which is a really, really cool organization here in Oregon, they just came out with a study or, a, you know, a, a, the result of a whole bunch of conversations with, uh, with candidates of color and um, elected leaders of color here in the state. And they, their findings were really, really interesting. One of them, um, you know, they had a number of findings, but a couple of them, just to touch on them. Um, one was that participants in their study that they spoke with didn't feel like they were adequately informed when they began their leadership career and then entered into governance. So they really felt like they needed additional training and support in order to um, understand the political processes and governance systems and coaching around change management, um, which I thought, you know, um, you know, again, we can recruit all day long, but if we're not providing the information about here's how the system really works, it's not designed for us, right? It's not designed no. for new voices. It wasn't designed by or for us. Um, and, but how do you teach people how it works so they can then change it? Um, and then a big piece, right, is, um, you know, participants in their study really talked about public safety and mental health. For Exiting Jackie here, just letting you know that my cat vomited, and so there is a weird edit here. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I was kind of touching on that second point, which is around retention, right? We can recruit and recruit and recruit, and I've done a whole lot of recruiting of candidates, um, particularly women, people of color, you know, younger folks running for office. And I've also helped a lot of those candidates as they've been candidates. And mm -hmm. probably be the first to tell you that what you can provide on the campaign trail is so limited, right? It's limited and it's lacking. Um, but I think that's that part's lacking, right? Once someone becomes a candidate, but once someone, you know, they, they've maybe been trained to be a candidate, they've maybe been recruited by somebody who knows what they're doing, but then when they become a candidate, it's kind of um, sink or swim. Yeah. And then once they're in office, there's like literally, there's not even a lifeboat. There's not even a life raft for you when, once you're a candidate. And I think, um, you know, for candidates, you, you might have, you probably heard this too, but, you know, for, for folks who aren't, you know, individually wealthy, for folks who've got kids or caregiving responsibilities, you know, none of the systems that are designed around candidates or elected officials are designed for those folks, right? Folks who have any caregiving or they're designed for older white guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've, I've yeah. sat, I've, I've, I'm 38 years old and I'm yeah. sitting here going, well, maybe I might think about running for state for city or state office. And then I'm yeah. like, yeah, but who the, who the four letter word is gonna, is gonna watch my kids. Right. There's exactly. no, Part of the reason I don't have full-time work is because 
right. care childcare is expensive. It's so expensive. So you're already making that decision between work or childcare because they the equation yeah. doesn't add up. And then a lot of times elected officials in the Northwest, a lot of our elected positions at the state level pay about $30,000 a year. And they've become year round jobs with staff that report to you and constant responsibilities. So that's been a big thing I've been focusing on here, you know, when I'm talking about things in the Northwest. I mean, it's, that's just one example, but that's all over the United States, right? So this oh, is Texas, I think, is one of the worst where they, they yeah. were designed to be one year on and one year off. And yes, yet those same. elected officials are working all the time. Even right. though they're only getting paid as though they're working one year on oh and one year off. Totally. So, okay. So you're already getting paid a really low amount. You're working way more than it was ever intended for that job. Then you've got the mental health load of that role, right? We were talking, I think, before we turned on recording about just what happens as a, just as a, for me as a white woman, when I go out on a podcast or go on YouTube and that's pales in comparison to mm -hmm. what happens. BIPOC or trans people, it's intense. So the mental health load of that. And then, you know, we're looking at more and more threats being made to elected officials today, right? Which is, you know, there's literally quotes that study that I was talking about, there was quotes from it from by Oregon Futures Lab. Um, there was quote, there were quotes in that thing about, you know, I have, I don't want to die for this. It was coming from a school board member. Um, you know, somebody who ran for just school board and wants to serve their local community on, on the school board. And they face death threats, right, to them and yeah. their family because their, you know, address is out there. So that those are the kinds of things that we've got to address um, systemically if we want to keep people in office. Absolutely. And it's it's insane. Yeah. It's it's absolutely insane that you're you're somebody wants to be that change to help either locally or federally, but because of this. I wouldn't even call it the the anonymity of the internet when there it's really you're not anonymous anymore, but you feel like you're anonymous. You're you're scaring yeah. the shit out of people. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And for you know who's not anonymous, right? Is the the elected official or the podcast host, right? Okay. You're putting your your face out there, and people can find your home address. It takes a lot, and it takes more money to hide your home address. Right. Those kinds of like basic safety things aren't things that are typically covered in government. So, um, yeah, you might. Yeah. So, yeah, no, my my brother runs my website and has and this my website is, I think, in Delaware. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> you have this like protection shield. My, 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 my little brother is a is a is a smart cookie. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh my gosh, I'm such a fan. And you've been doing this for a long time before it was cool to be podcasting about politics. So I started my website in 2009 and the podcast only came about in 2020. And that was, yeah. but yeah, I've I've had, the sexy politico has been a thing since 2009. Although a lot of those old articles have been archived. Yeah. <laughs> The tone changes over time. <laughs> the tone changes. You you realize that you realize that you were an idiot. Yeah. I've had my fair share of those things too. I mean, yeah. isn't that the way of things though, right? Like you learn, I mean, and we have some grace to do that because we're not elected, some grace, right? But yeah. um I mean, it's it's um it's not easy putting yourself out there <laughs> talking about politics publicly. Although it's 
it's kind of nice though having your your name if you google if i google my name yeah i, google, I get a uh i get a uh, chinese ballerina dancer and if i google <laughs> my maiden name i get an actress from gunsmoke so that so i have some pretty strong google gangers so it's a little bit harder I to find that. oh that's great yeah yeah that really helps yeah. that's really cool what what made you start it in the first place the website podcast. it was um because I I didn't have anybody directing me on how to actually get involved in politics like I didn't know <laughs> where to start and so it was like my uncle was like just make a website I'm like interesting okay like I just <laughs> didn't know where to start like yeah. there, there isn't because there's no like there's you there there was no bulletin board that just said help me no. run for office and then and then right. I had a I had a friend who works in public transportation and he's like yeah you know that there is a job board just for people who want to find political jobs I'm like yeah. know that thank you for this information <laughs> I love that so much so you got you started this the website around the same time I I went from corporate PR and then I started working in um, politics in twenty. No, that's you were ahead nine. Of me. I, I graduated. I graduated from undergrad in two thousand seven. I started the website oh, yeah. at the end of two thousand nine. That's awesome. So you were ready. Yeah, back then it was like it was kind of cool because Obama was around, but it wasn't like exactly you know, Obama not, was like there. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. How many? How long have you been? How long have you had the podcast? since the end of 2020 okay yeah 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 that's awesome have you yeah i was one of the many people to start a podcast in 2020 yeah well what else were you gonna do everybody's Mm. sitting around exactly and watching their kids gosh (laughs) like i said i started i mean potty training was you know a big part of my 2020 but you know same brutal in 2020 my carpets will never be the same we just have to replace the damn things <laughs> so if we so if we get get back into politics a little bit here we we know running for office costs money no matter yes. what you run for is there yeah. a way that we can make running for office more affordable so that younger people can get involved that aren't independently wealthy yeah yeah um so I'm not an expert in campaign finance. Um, I've always run campaigns um, in in the state, mo- primarily in the state of Oregon, where you know we people have liked to say, and I think it's going out of style now because of how ridiculous it is, um, that you know what we don't have in campaign finance limits, we make up for in transparency, which I think um, you know has its has its challenges. Um, so what that means is that the campaigns I've worked on have had no limits. They've just been like free oh, for all, throw money. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and then our legislative races here have, um, like I said, no limit. And they're really competitive because people, you know, it's kind of, you can just dive in. There's no limits. Things just go, you know, they get really big, really fast. So our races here, a, a targeted legislative race, a House or Senate race is like a small congressional somewhere else. So you're looking at like 1.2 to 1.5 million um, on each side. Sometimes, um, usually that's, around a million. That's insane. Yes, it's that's insane. Absolutely it, insane. The, the guy I worked for in Illinois, yeah. the, it was like half a mil for for a federal yeah. congressional house seat. 
Right. Which is still an enormous amount of money. It's a, it is an enormous amount of money, but comparatively, I mean, he was running for federal office. Right. Right. I know. So I'm kind of laughing, but it's like, it's not very funny. It's just, but it's, a, it's, it's not, it's not funny in general. I mean, you can run for federal yeah. office. I mean, I, it's just, you can yeah. run for federal office at like 25 years old, but what right. 25 year old can, can afford it unless you have you know, big donors behind you. Well, exactly. And so, um, you know, in Oregon, anyway, they're looking at a whole host of campaign finance laws. So that'll be coming. And I think in most states, they've started to look for ways to do that differently. Um, but I think, you know, the question around, you know, how do you get candidates we want to run for office to run, right? Sign up and run and, and then win. I think um, you were talking earlier about the the question of kind of information early on, like it was hard for you to know how to get involved. I think the same, the same standards, the same issues apply to great candidates, right? And I think um, just helping understand candidates understand what they're signing up for and how it works is a really big start, you know, beyond the money stuff, because even the most wealthy candidates, well, there's some super wealthy candidates who are going to self-fund, but even those candidates are going to go out and look for money, right? So like, how does, what does money in politics bring you? I mean, it, usually money in politics equals two things. I think viability is one. Yes. Um, and then it's connections, right? Um, that's, I mean, that's why Trump, Trump wanted to self-finance his entire presidential campaign. And the Republican right. Party told him he needs to look for money because he needs yeah. those connections and he needs to prove to the rest of the Republican base that he that he can make those connections while he's yeah. not my favorite president that that the republican party itself knew that they needed those connections yeah yeah absolutely and i think um you know when you look even just one step lower like than the presidency right because that's just this whole separate ball game yeah. but you know congress all the way down you know to you know local dog catcher. I mean, the first thing you want to be doing, I think, to help those candidates is helping them understand that, you know, showing that they have the ability to be a viable candidate, right? Put in the hours, put in the effort, show how much you want it. Um, getting training really helps, asking for mentors, reading books. I mean, that all seems really basic, but that's just like anything, right? If you want to be a great manager or a great parent or a great friend, you just, you lean into it and you learn and you ask people about it and you um, you think about it and you prepare for it, right? I've recruited a lot of candidates and the very best candidates had almost always been talking with their communities, you know, one to two years prior to thinking about running or been thinking about it, right? They've been kind of ruminating about it. And when they were finally reached by a recruiter, it wasn't like, I've never heard of that idea before. It was like, yeah, you know, I've been thinking about this, right? Or I've been kind of in talks with people, not to say you can't go from zero to a hundred, but, um, and you should, I hope no one hears this and is dissuaded because if you're not thinking about it and you want to run next cycle, you should go for it for sure. That's a great way to dive in. But, um, you know, those are the candidates, like if you're doing your homework and leaning in and asking questions, you're going to be in a, in a better place. And then my, like my least favorite candidates that I've recruited by far, uh, this is just a good white guy story. One time I was recruiting for a local DA um, position for a district attorney to run. And, and it was a fairly large, it was a pretty, prominent role um yeah. in this community and someone who I called it has no experience right he's a um, lawyer just never run for office never elected to anything which I knew because I'd you know done some basic research but um you know I thought if he could fit and he says 
oh no, I don't want to run for that. Call me when you're recruiting for Congress. And I'm thinking, you know, very few calls are made when you're running, you're recruiting for Congress. You make a few calls and the calls that you do make are the people who have been doing all the other jobs before it, right? So just like that, if you want to be a candidate, right? Build relationships, get started at the minimum and work your way up. Don't, you know, you're not always going to dive in to run for Congress first thing. It's like the person I worked for was a state senator before running for Congress. Yeah. It wasn't like, he wasn't like, hey, what's up? Right. And he and, had you name know, recognition in the county. Totally. But he also had connections and viability. Mm-hmm. With, all of the, with all of the unions, which in Illinois, if you don't have union connection, you're screwed. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, he may or may not have been an individually wealthy person, but you know, taking time to build the connections, just the relationships, right? Meeting, he probably met tons of frontline workers and unions to represent them. And, um, you know, like mm-hmm. sometimes people often dive in, like I'm going to run for office. I just, I need to know, you know, I need to know everything off the bat, but really good elected leaders and really good candidates ask lots of questions, right? They're just seeking to understand and learn. Um, so I would, you know, I, I think it can be really, it, it is really discouraging when you look at how much money in, is in politics, but I think more encouraging are the is the way that politics works around relationships that I think anyone can build relationships, um, you know, if they're leaning into it and really working at building those. Honestly, honestly, that every I I would love to continue this conversation later. We are, but um, we're hitting oh. really close to my kids' bedtime. Okay. Oh, let's go fast. Okay, we'll finish up. But um, so what I would like. The one last, is there anything that you would like to share with with, with my audience before we have to wrap everything up? Um, no, you know, not, not necessarily. I really appreciate you having me on. I, like I yeah, said, and under- I would love to have you on again, yeah. maybe even in a couple of months so that we could talk oh. about the, the, um, election cycle as it's unfolding, because yeah. it's going to be something, it's going to be something. <laughs> A hundred percent. It's uh, such a big cycle. And I just really appreciate you, you know, talking with folks and getting us all thinking yes. about what's coming up here. Cause it's going to be a, a big cycle. It's and never be, more important. Oh yeah. Especially when you, oh God, it's going to be something. And I think we'll both have stories to stories to share. I know. I know. No, I'd be happy to be on any time. And I really want to hear more about your um, primary. That experience Oh, I will. Yeah. I, I can. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to uh, burn any bridges over there. So uh, if I, I share no. share more stories, I'll share it to you off the uh, off the internet. Okay. <laughs> that sounds great. It was great to meet you, Jacqueline. It was really nice to meet you, and thank you for and as my sign off goes, thank you for listening to the Sexy Politico. We'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.